0: That ends the holiday special, Home Alone. Next year, we'll do Home Alone 2, right?
1: Yeah, whatever. gentlemen welcome to the rancid taco movie review podcast i'm here with my partner in crime the sticky bandit the Marv in my hairy mason weir and i'm skyler sanders
0: tonight we are reviewing home alone 2 which came out in 1992 and got 34 on rotten tomatoes
1: oh what was that what was home alone one rated on rotten tomatoes you remember
0: it was up in the 80s i want to say
1: how did this drop off so much? I, I felt like it gave us exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah, I don't understand the hate. I kind of like this movie. It's a guilty pleasure movie, much like the first one. It's like, I don't want to like this movie, but I do like it
1: a pretty good amount. There's no reason to dislike this movie any more than the last one. That's all I'm saying. It's, like it's, it's, it's the same movie with two different stories. Both of them have fun little moralistic uh, lessons that we learn throughout the entirety of the movie. But in the end, it's the same fucking movie. So why, why hate? Well, last year
0: we had some theories about home alone. One of which was your theory that they're a mafia family and that Kevin's father was a mob attorney and that's how they've accumulated their massive wealth. I have no evidence in this movie to disprove that theory. I think that that could still be true. (laughs)
1: Uh, well, we I, I don't know if we have evidence for it either, though. So, But if you're not disproving
0: it, you know, we, we learned last week in My Cousin yeah. Jenny that uh, the charge is on the court. Yeah, you know? it's guilty till proven innocent. That's right. Yeah. And not only did we prove that, but I said at the end of the podcast that I think Kevin was a burgeoning young serial killer. And in this movie, Kevin is much more bloodthirsty than in
1: Home Alone 1. Well, that's true. And I did keep a kill count on this one again. So I think the kill count on this one was higher than the last one.
0: Well, last year, the over under for kills of the robbers was six and a half. And I think we settled on an under. We, we scored at six eventually. Yeah. Where do you think we should put the over under for this year's kill count?
1: Uh, well, I already have my kill count. So it's unfair to ask, but it, it's exactly the same exact number, I think. All right. I sure. think he, he kills them much more effectively in this movie. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I lost track by the end of the, the, the scenes where he's beating up the gangsters. So maybe I forgot to score an extra one, which would give it seven on this one, which would put it on the over. All right. Well, before we get into the kill
0: count and get too far ahead, one correction or maybe a I don't know what to call it here. It's not really a correction. A concession. No, not yet. It's an answer to a question we had last week. We both wondered if you would be held in contempt of court for not dressing appropriately and sent to jail. And I consulted our uh, podcast's favorite attorney, JJ, and asked him this question. And he said, not only would they not hold you in contempt of court, but that some lawyers attend court in their pajamas. Really? That's what he said, and it's not really an issue at all.
1: Well, I call kangaroo court, then. <laughs> which uh, don't which don't leads us to the concession here. I don't right? know what kangaroo court is. I was just calling it. All right, all right. The concession, uh, I believe that the actor, one of the actors that was testifying was the villain from True Detectives, and I staked the entirety of the podcast on it, which was my real mistake. And... Uh, <clears throat> And it's, it was not him. It's a guy that looks kind of similar, but it's not him. And so I lost the podcast. And uh, yeah, congratulations, Mason, your first ever victory. How does it feel?
0: It feels pretty good to get my, how many episodes have we done now? 70, 60?
1: <laughs> yeah. You've only conceded defeat once, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, I gave you Sweet and Lowdown.
1: I remember that. So the lesson we learned here is Never stake the claim on the podcast Because even if you do lose and you don't stake the claim You can always back your way out of it Yeah,
0: you you could have won last week Because I very early on made a mistake By saying it was our last ever Joe Pesci movie Oh yeah And in fact, that leads us into the cast For Home Alone 2 Led by Joe Pesci
1: Hey, Joe Pesci
0: Yep He's actually not leading it, and I'm not going to get into everyone else that's in it because it's basically the same cast. We've got the child actor legend, Macaulay Culkin. We've got Daniel Stern, who we both really liked last year. Yeah, we really like him again, too. Joe Pesci, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hare, they're all there. But we do have a few new members that I wanted to to bring Uh, up with you. The
1: additions to this cast might make it better than the last movie.
0: And they focus on Uncle Frank a bit more in this movie too,
1: which was a plus. Yeah, I could take him or leave him. You loved Uncle Frank. Come on. Whatever. it was, it, it, Uncle Frank bored me. Enjoy. <laughs> I just visibly heard you wipe your forehead. <sighs>
0: yeah. yeah, it was a grunt of displeasure by your <laughs> statement about Uncle Frank. <laughs> but one guy that we both loved in this movie... And in legend, welcome back to the podcast, Tim Curry.
1: Yes, Tim Curry is back, and he's not darkness. He's, but he's still kind of a he's still a villainous character.
0: He is Mister Hector, the hotel. uh, What is he? Manager.
1: Concierge.
0: Okay, I just wanted to make you say that French word because that's not my uh, forte. I didn't want to lose the podcast.
1: (laughs) Concierge. I, I, it's, it, I don't know if it's pronounced different because in, like, The Godfather, they pronounce it as the concierge.
0: Well, that's a totally different thing. A concierge is someone that, like, carries your bags for you and shows you to your room. A consigliere is your right-hand man that gives you advice.
1: Consigliere? Yeah. So it's two different words?
0: Yeah, two totally different words.
1: I thought it was concierge.
0: No, no. Consigliere and, and concierge. Mm, okay. Concierge is spelled totally differently. Consigliere has a G in it. Okay. Yep. So concierge, concierge has a G in it too. Yeah, it does, but they're not the same. <laughs> there's no L in cons- There's no L. Yeah, in
1: yeah. All right. Well, we got to look up this. I'm not going to stake the podcast on this, but I'd like to look it up. Hey, Patrick Swayze, make an early appearance. Concierge uh,
0: yeah. and consigliere.
1: Consigli. I Airy mean, meaning. Oh, yeah, it's a whole different word. An advisor, especially to a crime boss. Yep. And let's see. Concierge. C- C- meaning. A Caretaker of an apartment or complex or a small hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the same thing. Uh, no. That's
0: one of the beautiful things about this podcast, I man. I'm learning things every week.
1: Every week learning things and teaching people things too. That's nice. Yep. So, so keeping here with Tim Curry,
0: he is excellent in this movie as Mr. Hector, the hotel consigliere. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's funny because he's not he's not even close to this consigliere, but yeah. Hotel he, hotel could, he
1: could be a consigliere though. He's got an evil streak in him.
0: But Actually, I, don't, I don't think that he's very evil at all. I think he's. He's a good guy that's being painted as a bad guy in this movie.
1: Mm, That may be true, but also I'd like to think of him as a bad guy because he just, uh, some of the looks he gives. He's Uh, so good at it. And then Rob Schneider plays, he looks real nice and young in this one. He plays uh, uh, Cedric, the bellboy.
0: Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Rob Schneider, the first time ever. And maybe the only time ever, unless we do an Adam Sandler movie at some point. What are your thoughts on Rob Schneider?
1: Uh he's always entertained me. I, I'm from that era of Saturday Night Live, though, so I've always liked him.
0: He's good at what he does, but I'm not. You know, he's not like a yeah. all time great actor, yeah. but he's good at this. He's good at this thing.
1: Yeah, he's good at what he does. Mm-hmm. The
0: last one I have here is Brenda Frickner Fricker, and she plays the Pigeon Lady. I'm assuming everyone's seen this movie, so it's not a spoiler to say that there is a Pigeon Lady. We spoiled it last week, so it's. <laughs>
1: Fine. yeah i don't think anybody's gonna lose any sleep over that one well she
0: actually is an award winning an academy award winning actress
1: she won an academy
0: award for a role in a movie that she was in called my left foot which starred mm, daniel day lewis. lewis
1: yeah that's a good movie
0: yep. and she is the first irish actress to ever win an academy award that's awesome but in this movie i was less than impressed with anything she did. And in fact, the longest and most drawn-out scene in the movie involved her and Kevin having the heart-to-heart that I was like, come on, get, get moving.
1: Oh, yeah, you didn't like that?
0: No, I fast-forwarded. I watched this movie three or four times, and the third time I was like, oh, my
1: be-. God. That's like the whole moral message of the movie, man.
0: Yeah, well, I, the moral message of this one didn't land with me
1: like the last one. Well, it shouldn't have landed on the last one. It probably shouldn't land on this one either, but still... There's, there is a moral message here, and she's she's bringing it. She's bringing
0: it, yeah, but Kevin is basically manipulating her and, and fucks her over, by the way. Well,
1: Kevin's teaching her, too.
0: Uh, we'll get to that part later on, and I'll let you, uh, All right. y- you can enlighten me. Okay. But that does it for the cast, and now we can move along and become a couple of sticky bandits. Yeah, yeah. So like you said, this one starts off... Much like the last one. And for the first hour of the movie, it's a lot of the same jokes and same plot devices. The family's packing at home. They're all annoyed with Kevin. And they're all annoyed with Kevin. Kevin doesn't like his family. It's you know, exactly the same as the first movie. But the dialogue here is clever enough and, and funny enough that it's not played out and it's still kind of fresh and entertaining.
1: Yeah, and I can imagine seeing this back when it after the last one came out. It was just like you go to this movie thinking, oh, I'm going to be back into this world and I'm going to be part of the McAllister family again. And I'm going to see all this stuff go on. And that's exactly what they're building and doing. Yep. And the last one,
0: Kevin's uncle said, look what you did, you little jerk, when he spilled the soda. And then this one, Kevin takes his video camera into the shower and he he spies on his uncle while he's dancing in there. (laughs) His recorder, it's a, not a video
1: camera, it's an audio recorder.
0: Yeah, recorder. He's recording his uncle dancing and singing in the shower, and his, his yeah. uncle calls him a little pervert there. So, yeah. That's a standout scene that everyone remembers from the movie. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. And then there's another notable scene, and this is the scene in which the whole family gets mad at Kevin. There's a choir concert, a Christmas concert there, and Kevin gets his Christmas solo, and he sings in a really high voice. Despite Kevin's great singing, his big brother Buzz, which uh, we didn't mention him in the cast, but he made the news last week for the actor did for uh, beating his girlfriend and choking her. So, whoa, yeah, Buzz well. is a shitty character and a, the actor is an asshole. Yeah,
1: sounds like it. If that's uh, true, <clears throat> but here here's the problem is that Kevin is just in what he does, like Buzz. <laughs> Buzz is publicly humiliating him for no reason. And it's super sophomoric. And the whole audience starts laughing at this. Like it's the most hilarious thing ever. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, why is this so funny? Including uncle Frank,
0: who's pointing and laughing at his nephew, Kevin, as he's getting he's clowned on by buzz.
1: Yeah. I like buzz has the easiest crowd in the world. He's just like, all he does is take the candles and put it behind Kevin's ears or Like horns and then starts drumming on his head or pretending to drum. And the crowd just finds this absolutely hilarious which instead of finding it idiotic and juvenile which is what it is. They think it's funny. Yeah. Which just goes to show the level of uh, the average American at this point in time in the 90s was somewhere along a 5th, 6th, 7th grade uh, level.
0: Yeah, it wasn't funny what Buzz was doing at all. But it was humiliating for Kevin and so He turns around and he does the famous Vinny punch shove, the jumper cut, as you called it. Yeah. He swings a punch at Buzz, but then the camera changes and he actually lightly shoves his shoulder instead. But this causes the entire choir to fall down like bowling pins around him. And then Kevin's mom inexplicably stands up and yells, Kevin. Yeah. Why? Why is she yelling Kevin there?
1: Because that was the most popular repeated line in the last movie. Oh, so.
0: Imagine that's your, that's your game. That, the rest of your life. As and actress. It
1: is too, because I just saw a commercial where with her and Kevin Smith and she goes, Kevin! <laughs> and it's like alluding to that joke. So not only like you said that talking about imagine back then, but this commercial just came out this Christmas and this is how many years in the future.
0: Oh, yeah, we're 30, 35 years in the, you know, up ahead of this. And she's still saying Kevin. So yes. just imagine being her. We're walking down the street. A random fan walks up to you. Say the line. You know, say the line. You probably have to scream out Kevin like a 100 times a day.
1: Well, wow, you poor don't, poor Catherine O'Hare. You don't have to. You just uh, you just tell him to fuck off and then you're an asshole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Then you're the asshole. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of feel sorry for her for that.
1: Of course. Yeah. It'd be the worst thing ever. <laughs> Not the worst thing ever, but it'd be horrible.
0: It would be up there. But she yells out, Kevin, and that was just so stupid. It, that's not the place to yell, Kevin. But fear not, because uh, she's it's coming it again. It's, it's coming totally again.
1: She's going to really ham it up this time.
0: Yep. I actually didn't really enjoy this choir scene, but it, it had enough bad. It was so bad it was good that I enjoyed that part of it. So maybe that contributes to the 34% Rotten Tomato grade because there's a lot of so bad it's good in this movie more so than the last movie i think
1: yeah i just i just noticed more most of the same not i mean i guess there were like this this stuff where they're repeating the jokes and she does ham it up on the next kevin but yeah for me it was just the same shit exactly like i microwave the same movie and took it out and it was still the same dish i ate last year Uh,
0: I think this this scene is probably the one that makes me think that they're a mob family the most. It's after this choir and Kevin and Buzz have to apologize to the whole family. And they're all dressed up in suit and ties and there's like these red sitting chairs. And at one point Buzz looks exactly like the Godfather, you know, from Godfather 2 sitting in the chair. So (laughs) Uh. I don't know if they were going for it or not, but I felt like maybe they were a mob family here. I believed it. I believed in your theory.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's very possible because Chicago, in the 90s, the dad's got way more money than he can explain. We don't ever know what it is he does. And they're visiting other mob cities, going to Miami, heading yeah, to New York. That's true. Chicago. Other, Chicago, Miami, New York, other big mob cities. So, oh. What was he doing down in Miami? What was he buying? I think we're on to
0: something with this one. I think so. But on the surface here. We see Buzz apologizing, but we know it's fake. And he even tells Kevin, "Hey, man, top that, you trout sniffer."
1: What's a, what's a trout sniffer?
0: <laughs> I feel like they're mildly trying to play on a, like a, a offensive sexual thing.
1: So, yeah, yeah, uh, but like, is it like because what's it alluding to though? Like, uh, you like, know what? But that
0: would be <laughs> that would be a good thing, right? Not if it smells like trout, it
2: wouldn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. A lot of people eat
1: trout. I'm just saying.
0: That's true. Anyway, Kevin uh, refuses to apologize, and he tells the family he's not sorry. He hopes he goes on his own vacation with his own money, and they can all screw off. So he didn't learn his lesson at all last year, unless he really wants them to be gone, because it's, again, the same exact formula. He's sent to sleep up in the attic, which if I'm him, I'm wanting to sleep up there every single night. The, his cousin threatens to pee on him, just like in the last one. Buzz threatens him. The family you know, tells him everything. Is there anything to say about this, or is it exactly the same as last it's year? It's
1: exactly the same, only yeah. the result is different. They wake up, and, oh, my God, they think they forgot Ke- Well, no, the result's the same. They wake up late. They're rushing to get in the car. And then, oh, my God, where's Kevin? And we have this brief moment, and then he's in the front seat of the van, and he turns around and gets his ticket. And, oh, okay, we didn't forget Kevin this year. Thank God. It's not going to happen again. Yeah, we did avoid a little – or we get a little Kevin McGuffin there, but it's just for
0: five or ten minutes because – Yeah. Spoiler alert, he gets lost within the next ten minutes.
1: The McGuffin McAllisters.
0: Yep. One other thing we do need to note, though, is that the sticky bandits, Marv and Harry – have escaped from prison and they are now on the loose.
1: Yeah. And they, we, well, we see the newspapers like in a windy scene, the newspaper blows up against the McAllister's door and says that they've escaped. And then the very next scene, we get a fish truck in New York and the fish truck stops and they pop out of the back. Yeah. And uh, give just, we begin the, the, eh, what a great combo too. Like these guys are really the highlight of both films because. It's such an odd pairing. They are. I agree completely. They're,
0: they play off of one another so
1: well. And there's, they're kind of sweet. Like uh, we, I think we as the audience like them because they're so sweet, stupid. They're, they're just dumb. What do you think about
0: Joe Pesci in this one? Because we did My Cousin Vinny last week, and he looked pretty young. This movie came out in the same year, and I feel like he looked like he was put through the ringer.
1: And uh, What happened? I, I don't think he looks young in my cousin Vinny.
0: So I. Well, he didn't look young, but he looked way younger than this version of Joe Pesci, and
1: they came out uh, at the same time. Yeah, I don't know that. It, I, I don't know if I agree with that statement. <laughs> I, I think he looks like in his mid forties in my cousin Vinny, and then this he looks like he's in his mid forties. Maybe a little bit because he's bald in this one, I guess, or he. Yeah, so he he's bald.
0: And they take the tooth out, maybe too.
1: Yeah, so maybe a maybe a touch more. Maybe it's that's it—the
0: balding, the tooth—that just adds a couple years. The non-beautiful woman on his arm instead. There's instead of uh, Marv. Marv. <laughs> well, that'll age any man quick. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe that is what it is. he's like. Oh, I used to have uh, Mona Lisa, and now I've got Marv.
1: Marvel Lisa.
0: <laughs> so, so Marvel Lisa and Harry are a couple of uh trout-sniffing stowaways in this fish truck. <laughs>
1: they are. What does that smell, Marv? Fish. No, it's freedom.
0: We know that the wet bandits are in New York, but luckily Kevin is flying down to Florida, so he'll be totally safe, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Nothing's going to happen bad. I can't imagine anything bad happening.
0: Nothing bad ever happens to this family, except their alarm clocks don't go off. They're in a rush the next day. They rush through the airport. They play the exact same music they played last year as they rushed through the airport. And in the chaos, Kevin starts to follow the wrong man, thinking it's his dad. He boards a flight, and this is pre-9-11, so the flight attendant just lets him on. <laughs> no big
1: deal. Yeah. yeah. He just walks up, and he bangs into her all, the, all of his – he drops his boarding pass, so she, they're in a stack of boarding passes that she's collected, which is an ancient tradition now, too. And, uh, yeah, so it, – it, She she gets he gets on the flight and she and the guy goes, well, make sure this flight's leaving now. Make sure he sees he gets with his parents and then let him go. So he goes on there, looks up the aisle, sees the guy who's following who's wearing the same type of coat that his dad was wearing and goes, oh, that's him. And she's like, okay you go find a seat just anywhere. (laughs) Don't (laughs) sit with your dad. Sit
0: somewhere up in the front. Yeah, see you when we land.
1: Yeah. Just grab a seat anywhere you can find one, kid. It's a free for all fly and just grab them while you can.
0: And so with this, Kevin is now on a flight to New York City. His parents are on a flight to Florida. They don't even realize that Kevin's not there until they land. And when they land, they play a a little game of telephone as they pass through the family members. Hey, give this luggage to Kevin. And it goes from person to person. And then it, it gets to the last guy, and he says, Kevin's not here. And then it gets back down to the mom, and she says, Kevin's not here. And then when it dawns on her that her son is missing, we get a second.
1: Kevin! Yeah, she goes, Kevin's not here. (laughs) And then she passes out and falls and faints and falls back.
0: Pretty corny. Yeah. But Kevin, for his part, he quickly adapts to New York when he lands. He realizes when he sees the Statue of Liberty that he's not in Florida. But he does have his dad's bag, which contains his dad's credit cards and inexplicably an envelope full of cash. Why would Kevin's dad have an Ooh. envelope full of cash?
1: Well, I wouldn't take an envelope full of cash with me to co- to Miami unless, of course, I was buying or selling cocaine, maybe. <laughs> yep. That's, yeah.
0: I mean, I didn't even put that together until this watch. I was like, wow, yeah. that's, man, that's something there. Why I did he
1: have that? I didn't put that together until you brought it up. This is great. We are are uncovering the dirt behind the McAllister family. That's right. And so they – Kevin has money,
0: and he's able to just freely go throughout the city. And at first he checks out seemingly all the landmarks. You're up on your geography in New York. You lived there for a long time. Mm -hmm. Is Kevin – would he be able to hit all these spots in one day?
1: No, definitely not. First of all, it would take forever to get – like it takes – Just to get from the airport to his hotel would take an hour to two, right? And then to get from, like, he goes down to the the Statue of Liberty. Okay, that's going to take another 45 minutes to an hour to get down there from where you're at. And then he goes over to the World Trade Center, which is not that far from a Statue of Liberty. You could actually walk to that from there. So that is doable. But then it's like... Yeah, he's just covering way too much ground. As a child in New York who does not know where he's going, the train systems are super complicated when you first get there, so it takes you a minute to figure out what's going where and how to get where. So unless he's cabinet all over the place, I would say no.
0: And while he's cabinet, also, I want to point out, if we learned anything from our review of Hereditary, it's that children hanging out of the side of a cab Is very unsafe, and Kevin should not be doing it here. He could be beheaded very easily. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a dangerous thing, as told by Hereditary.
0: Yeah. So any kids watching this movie, if you think Kevin's being cool right now, think again, all right? Yeah, it's not cool. Stay in the car, kids.
1: Put your hands and feet in the car at all times.
0: So back in Florida, Kevin's parents are explaining the situation to the local Florida police. And I actually really enjoyed this scene. Because at this point, it's a joke to them that Kevin is lost. They make a couple of jokes and they say things like, "Oh, it's uh, it's happened before." And One of my favorite lines is in the scene, so I won't say it now. But they're laughing and pounding on the table, and the cop even looks at them like, "Why is this normal for you?" Like people? you twisted fucks. <laughs> <laughs> they are twisted. They're not even. I mean, they're concerned. Yeah, they're, they're not worried like they should be.
1: Well, let's be let's be honest. He handled himself more than exceptionally well the first time he was alone. And uh, there's this, this is the second time he's alone. There's they don't know he's in New York yet, but they do know that he's perfectly capable of handling himself. So they should have a little bit more trust than last time.
0: Well, they've got more than just trust. It's almost like a uh, disinterest in the whole the, thing.
1: Yeah. The problem is with them. How are you forgetting your kid again to go on vacation? I, I just don't understand the gross negligence of these parents should be examined by the state. Absolutely. And they never accept
0: responsibility. Later in the movie, when they finally get within range of Kevin, they do nothing but blame everybody else. Oh, yeah. Like, like, yo, you lost your own kid, all right? Yeah. Quit yelling at the hotel and everyone else and do your own job as a parent. Yeah, way to pass the buck. Yep. (laughs) And speaking of passing bucks, what a great segue that one is because (laughs) we learn how Marv and Harry get the nickname the sticky bandits and that is marv has a glove made out of tape and he walks by and just snatches things from people it's actually really awesome if you're paying attention to the way that he has this tape glove what a great idea
1: oh yeah he just sticks his hand in the uh salvation army bucket and pulls out all these coins he's snatching hats off of people's heads like
0: mittens off of little kids he just (laughs) takes his hand out and snatches
1: yeah he's got a good thing going
0: yeah, the, the tape, the glove of tape is really funny, man. It's just like, yeah. oh, got, got it. You just slap something and you got it.
1: Yeah, it's their most successful capers of, the, of both movies.
0: They talk about their plan, and that is the two of them now free in New York. Their plan is to rob something and then take the money and, and flee and live a life of more robbing and stealing, I guess. I don't know why I felt the need to discuss their plans. We all knew what their plans were, and that's <laughs> robbing shit.
1: Yep, they're going to rob some stuff. But they, well, so, that, so the point was is that they decide to rob the toy store then, right? He says something along the lines of, yeah, all that cash they're going to take in on New Year's, on Christmas Eve, and, and then they can't go to the banks or whatever. And there's going to be all this cash in the store, and we're going to go take it. And no one's stupid enough to rob a toy, steer, a toy store on Christmas Eve. And then Marv goes, well, yes, there are. That was the point, was to reveal to us the toy store plot.
0: Yeah, their plan is to rob this famous New York toy store and get all this money. Kevin, at the same time, arrives now at, a, is it a famous hotel?
1: The Plaza, I believe it is.
0: Yeah, I didn't write down the name of it. I thought maybe it was a, like a world-famous hotel in real life.
1: It right, looked like a fancy-schmancy hotel, I guess. I don't know. Well, it is
0: a fancy-schmancy hotel. But Kevin is able to check in. He uses his recorder to record himself, and then he you know, changes the speed of it so he sounds like an adult. He's using this recorder and video camera and things throughout the whole movie, but with modern technology now, all of this felt a little, I don't know, out of place or not, not out of place, but I didn't need it really. I,
1: I was just impressed at his ability to string t- together so quickly the recording stuff so so he calls the credit card company and he recorded some other stuff calls it but he has it fast forward and play hits play and has it repeating the things exactly when it needs to be repeated it's just real fortuitous that they ask the right questions i guess but same as the old movie with the uh, recording of the television yep which we'll see which we'll see again
0: and we didn't mention but Again, much like the last movie, there was the Shovel Slayer, which was the scary neighbor. And on his way inside the hotel here, Kevin encounters a very frightening lady covered in pigeons. A homeless person, seemingly, covered in pigeons.
1: And she's, did you notice she's wearing the same exact looking boots as the shovel guy from the last one?
0: No, I didn't. But it yeah. doesn't surprise me in the least. They probably just dug up the old uh, set... <laughs> Dug up the old costumes and like, eh, just throw on his old boots. Who cares? Yeah, might as well. Why stray from
1: what works? It's
0: like, what works for this guy? Oh, you gotta have the boots, man. The boots are a big <laughs> part of the character. The boots are
1: terrifying. <laughs> oh, no, they're not. The
0: The lady's really not terrifying at all. Kevin's kind of uh, rude here for being she, afraid of her.
1: She does have a rather stoic look and she's covered in pigeons. That's a little c- creepy, you know. Uh, I see it as a nice thing, honestly. Well, I mean, you might, but uh, as, how old is Kevin? An eight-year-old kid might not. I think he's more like
0: 12 or 11 or 12 in this one.
1: Well, 11, 12, even, even so.
0: Yeah, he's getting big. But yeah, he, he is scared of the pigeon lady. He goes inside, he does a scam, and he gains admittance to the hotel. And I guess people think it's funny to be a total stiff and a shitty tipper. And I'm here to correct that, all right? Because <laughs> Rob, Rob Schneider, the bellhop, he shows Kevin to his room, and he asks for a tip, which you never should do. You don't ask for a tip, and so that's kind of rude. But Kevin displays the knowledge that he knows you're supposed to tip, and he gives the guy mm-hmm. a piece of gum as a tip. What an asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and the fact that he gives him Fruit Stripes gum.
0: Well, Fruit Ugh. Stripes is, is good gum. I, it's, it looks flavor. I love yeah. Fruit Stripes.
1: There's no way that that Fruit Stripes gum lasts the, the, as long as Rob Schneider's chewing it, first of all. But <laughs> – uh, the uh, No, that was the, like not that good of gum. Well, that's true. The next day, he does say he
0: still has some tip left over. Some of my gum
1: tip left over. Yeah, well, I was like, like I was like, I've had Fruit Stripes gum. It doesn't last like ten minutes. No, There's it doesn't nowhere. even last
0: one full minute. It probably yeah. loses its flavor quicker than any gum.
1: It's the quickest flavor losing gum.
0: But in the last movie, Kevin tipped the pizza guy eighteen cents. I think we determined it was. And now in this one, they're making it a running gag that he's a shitty
1: tipper. It's
0: not funny to be a stiff.
1: Yeah, then he teases him the next time, but
0: we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that later. But, yeah, Kevin, once again, as you called him in the last one, a scumbag little tipper. Yeah. And he is. He knows you're supposed to tip, and he, he intentionally stiffs these poor, hardworking
1: yeah, and he's rich. The kids, the kids is part of a rich family. Let's be Oh, yeah. Honest. He's
0: he's packing 5k or more right now in cash, along oh, yeah. with his credit cards.
1: Yeah. Real
0: prick. But he also knows how to have a good time, at least by a 10-year-old standards. And he again does what he did last year when he was home alone. He orders ice cream. This time with his own personal ice cream scooper, like a human that's that's scooping the ice cream for him. <laughs> I thought you meant like a human
1: shaped like a scooper that he was scooping the ice
0: cream with. No, they set up an actual human just to
1: scoop this kid's ice cream for him. Uh, would that be two scoops, Master McAllister? No, better make it three. I'm not driving. We yeah. can only
0: assume that Kevin tipped the hell out of this guy because later on they're trying to figure out where Kevin's parents are. And this guy knows the truth. He has to. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't share any of that with, with his hotel bosses, so.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. And he was up there by himself. Yeah. All right.
0: But the hotel manager, Mr. Hector, Tim Curry's character, is trying to figure out the truth of Kevin and why he's there and where his parents are. So he sneaks into the room that night. But Kevin outsmarts him again.
1: So Tim Curry uh, comes in. He's trying to find out a little bit of information on the kid, right? And he comes into the hotel room and... Kevin hears him coming. So real quickly in, uh, you know, an unrealistic amount of time it would take to set up and blow up this clown that he got for the pool in Miami. He blows up this clown inflatable clown in the shower and starts doing his famous silhouette dancing thing that he did from the first one where it was, you know, Michael Jordan posters and things riding around on trains in his house to fool Marvin and Harry. Well, he does this, and and he's got the recording of his uncle that he recorded him singing in the shower. And so he stops at one point, and Tim Curry's in the shower looking and watching this weird character dance and sing. And then he stops and goes, get out of here, you little pervert. And Tim Curry makes a great face here. Yeah, Tim Curry does a, great, a good job in this, playing the
0: character that he was given. So Kevin has eluded the hotel staff here and, and outsmarted them. So they think the whole family's up there, and not just Kevin. That he's not home alone. Yeah, we're getting in depth with this, but this is all just filler to what everyone really wants out of this movie. (laughs) And that's (laughs) one of my chief complaints about this. This movie was two hours long. I don't think the first one was that long.
1: Really? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it it went by pretty quick, though. Doesn't feel like it runs long.
0: Well, I, I pointed out the one scene that kind of drags for me. But other than that, you're right. It does kind of go quickly.
1: No, but it's still, it, you're right, though. It's, a, it's all filler. And the parts with Tim Curry are kind of the only newness of it, I guess. And uh, maybe the, the fact, like, even the fact that he's in New York doesn't really play that much into it. Like, at the beginning, he goes out and he sees New York and he goes to see some things. After that, they could have been in any city.
0: Yeah, I agree completely, actually. And I didn't want to offend you by mentioning this, but I felt like they were trying to play up on the aura of New York and what some people would view as like the beauty of the big city, you know, the New York thing. There's a a vibe that people have around that. I don't get it at all. You know, I would never want to, I've visited New York twice. I would never want to live there or, or be around there, but I feel like this movie was trying to play into that almost like a nostalgia or, fondness that people have for New York or have back then at least.
1: That's true. I mean there is a fondness and nostalgia about New York. It's the largest city in in the United States. So it's got its allures, but it's it's full of a mixed bag, you know, it's full of exciting sights, but also sometimes scary, weird sights. So it's it's a it's a wild city. But that's not the, the point for that I'm making is that they sort of New York gets shoved into the background a little bit, I think.
0: Yeah, they show you the landmarks and things like that, but that's about it. It doesn't play a huge role, I guess. They
1: they end up in Central
0: Park. Yeah, there. I mean
1: they they do. I guess all the settings sort of play into the New York atmosphere. Like they're in the park a lot. They're the Rockefeller think, Christmas tree. Yeah, they, I mean it all. It all does play into it. I don't know. I don't know what point I'm trying to make by that, but it just. In the beginning i feel like it's real quick oh i go view new york then i take a ride around in a a limo eating pizza and that's sort of the end of the new york experience for him yeah that's true and he the, the
0: pizza thing was another one it's like of all the lines that people clung to from the first movie the lines of kevin and cheese pizza just for me why is that something that's like so popular Why is that something that you just shove into the next movie? Is Kevin liking cheese pizza.
1: Well, you have to understand that this movie was probably born and bred inside of a Hollywood studio or, or not even a studio, but a Hollywood boardroom where they thought about, hmm, how can we put this together to make the most money possible? And so they paid a lot of people to strategically market and separate people and children into separate categories and figure out how to play to them. And so that's what marketing is. And that's what marketing does. And this movie is a perpetuation of marketing from Hollywood. And so whenever they polled the next audience, I'm sure they thought they asked the audience, Oh, what was your favorite thing about this? Oh, I love Kevin and I love his cheese pizzas. So then they took that and they were like, we've, we've done the research and the statistics. And we know that the, this percentage of the audience likes cheese pizza and Kevin saying something about cheese pizza. So let's put that in there. And that is how Hollywood is done. And it worked, by God. <laughs> Both these movies made so much money that they could have fucking retired off of half of one. Well, that's
0: good. That uh, perfectly describes the answer I was looking for. Is Some marketing genius figured out that this sells. And it does sell because I love cheese pizza too. And I don't know how this movie ties into it, but that is my preferred pizza, and I when I get one, I would say cheese pizza just for me to myself. So yeah, it works. Oh, really? You'll actually say the line from the movie in my head. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, oh, cheese, okay, yeah, that's... cheese pizza just for me." Then they nailed it. They really they hit home. They do. And this Kevin gets this cheese pizza, along with a limo ride. Immediately, did you notice the timing of this? So the next morning, before he leaves. The bellhop Rob Schneider shows up, and he gives him his underwear. And this time, Kevin stiffs him way harder. He reveals that he's got all these $50 bills, and he's like, oh, I was going to yeah. give you a tip, but I guess you don't want the tip. And that's even worse, hanging a tip over someone's head. Yeah, yeah. that's why I said. Them.
1: That's why I said he's teasing him now because he comes back, he's like, oh, I bet you want a tip now. And he's like, no, no, thank you, sir. I still have a little bit of tip left over from last time, and he takes out his gum. Because he thinks he's not going to tip him. Because he's shown that he's probably not going to tip him. It's a perfectly acceptable thing to say, you know, for Rob Schneider's character. And then this little bastard pulls a wad of $50 bills out of his pocket like he's fucking Donald Trump himself. And just says, oh, well, you don't want to tip. Okay, no tip then. And puts it back in his pocket and shuts the door in his face as the guy's going, no, 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 wait, wait, wait.
0: Which Yeah, that is way worse than the first instance. But it doesn't bother the bellhop really at all because a couple minutes later he's waiting by the limo with a huge smile on his face and a cheese pizza just for Kevin. So he wasn't he wasn't bothered. He's a true professional.
1: He's bothered by it. He's he's using a new tactic. You see, he's still trying. He knows the kid's got a wad of fifties and he's willing to come up come off of some of that cash. He can't show that the kid hurt him because he's got to get to those fifties. All
0: right, I've actually got a theory here that I'm gonna. I agree with you. He is trying a new tactic because as someone that works for tips, there and you as well, I'm sure you know, there becomes a point where you don't try any tactics because you know it's a lost cause. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Kevin is a lost cause because he probably tipped the ice cream butler. He probably <laughs> gave him such a good tip, and the butler really? told told the bellhop about it. He's like, Keep trying, man. This kid'll tip you. And that's why he comes with the cheese pizza.
1: Well, and also we know we know that this character is focused on his tips because in the beginning scene, the introduction to him, he's sitting there counting his tips and Tim Curry's character says, Cedric, don't count your tips in public.
0: That's true. He is obsessed with the money.
1: Yeah, so he's all about that money. But surprisingly enough, bellhops make quite a bit of money in, in hotels and, and things of that nature, especially out here in Vegas. They make upwards of like 20-some dollars an hour plus like tips. Not to, They're not bellhop. Now they're like... Uh, uh valet valet but yeah they make tips and like crazy amounts of tips and like double the wages that servers and bartenders make so i don't know it's what i should be going into i think
0: well now that we've broken this down accurately i've got a lot of respect for rob schneider's performance here because he never got mad about getting stiffed and and now we've explained why because he's not giving up he's going to get a tip by the time it's over.
1: I don't know if it was Rob Schneider that explained that or if it's our experiences with getting stiffed on tips that brought us to that, but still, let's give Rob,
0: Rob Schneider deserves a round of applause. He does, and so a quick round of applause for Rob Schneider. Very good. So one thing I wanted to point out here, though, is that I mentioned Kevin being a bit of a burgeoning serial killer in the last one, and in this one, I just want to talk about the stark differences in his not only his actions but his demeanor and, and personality so in the last one he didn't go on a spending spree with his dad's money right he, he was just trying to get by for a week but in this one he's getting a limo he orders some champagne it looks like in the pizza i mean what's his deal why does he think it's okay to spend all his dad's money like that
1: well he behaved in the first one you know and where did that get him Alive. He lived.
0: That was the I, whole point. No, that
1: got him lost in New York City on the second vacation, okay? So this time, dad owes him, all right? You think he, is,
0: his dad deserves it?
1: Yeah, this, this is, th- is where Kevin is finally stepping into his rebellious adolescent form. Finally blossoming into the human that he's to become.
0: All right. So he's he's embracing being an asshole now. He's giving yeah. his dad what he deserves by he, blowing up his credit card.
1: Yeah, he probably got into drugs and punk rock and basically became Steve-O from SLC Punk after this.
0: I thought you were going to say Steve-O from Jackass.
1: after. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> this that. An
0: entirely different yeah. steve
1: <laughs> Just as disappointing to his father, I'm sure, though.
0: Guaranteed. Well, here uh, is the one redeeming scene for Kevin and his personality. Is he goes to this famous toy store. We mentioned it as the one that Marv and Harry are going to rob. Mm-hmm. But Kevin goes there to buy some toys and we find out that the owner, a generous man named Mr. Duncan, is going to donate all the money from the toys sold to a charity, like a children's hospital, for them to have toys at, at Christmas. Yeah, it's definitely a children's hospital. And <laughs> Kevin offers to donate, what, 20 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and nice it, of him. He's only got like
1: five or six thousand. So it's nice of him to get. Well, I skills. mean, yeah, anything helps. But still, yeah, it was it was a nice gesture because he has a chat with the man at the counter and he says, well, I'm not supposed to spend this money, which is a lie. Uh, because I, yeah, it yeah. is money. It's not his money. He's like, I'm not supposed to spend this money because my mom said not to, but I have twenty bucks at home that I can repay her with. The whole story makes it sound like Kevin's like this real honest hardworking kid that's worked hard and is gonna shovel the driveway to to for this twenty bucks. No, it's his dad's twenty bucks. He stole it straight out from him.
0: And he's got way more than twenty. If he really wanted to make a generous donation, he could do that as well. Well, he
1: played it smart. You don't go flashing all your cash around. That's how you attract trouble. Well,
0: we didn't talk about it in the cast, but what did you think about Macaulay Culkin's acting in this movie?
1: I think it's actually better
0: than the first one, maybe. I feel like they're asking a lot more of him in this movie they, than the last one.
1: They are. Like, there's, but he's, He starts talking in, uh, on, a, on an adult level
0: much more in this one. Obviously, he's not a seasoned actor. No. But he's way better in, for instance, The Good Son. When he, I
1: think that's a year or two down the road. Wow, does that. The Good Son. This is like the evolution of Macaulay Culkin right here. Yeah, The Good Son's great. I, actually, I don't know if The Good Son's great. I liked it when I was a kid, but featuring two of the greatest child actors of our time.
0: Yeah, I watched it last year and really enjoyed it, but I didn't watch it as meticulously as we do for this podcast, so maybe down the road we'll uh, get into oh, that. Yeah. We both like that movie.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but they are asking him to tackle some more adult subjects and I think he does a fine job with it. I think something happens at around this age when you're a kid is when you're probably the most receptive to creative ideas because you haven't been told no enough maybe in your life or you still believe in the supernatural type of things can happen. Your creativity is flourishing around this time. I would say from like seven to 11 or 12 years old. And I think that's why a lot of child actors get famous around this time is because they can tap into a They can, they can tap into a place that most actors are trying to get back to because they're already there. It's like being wise without knowing you're wise. It's like seeing something for the first time
0: and having it be on camera or experience something for the first time that you can't recapture.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I'm sure if you think back in your life and you think about some of the things that you did, as you've written or talked about or, or did in your life, you think about now and you go, wow, did I really do that? Like, that was me. And there's so, something that happens as time goes on where you have to work harder and harder to get back to this place of freedom, which I think ch- some child actors or some, some people around that age can just automatically tap into. And I think Macaulay Culkin does a fantastic job of that. And all the movies that I've seen him in as a kid. And then as you move on, it's harder for him to succeed because he has to redefine himself as a person and as an actor in front of a national audience. And we already have an established view of who Macaulay Culkin is. And so if he doesn't push the boundaries in just the right way or live up to that hype exactly in the correct manner it's a it's considered a failure and he might even view it as a failure
0: i don't think he really tried acting after being a teenager i think he gave it up i I could be wrong about that i haven't researched macaulay Calkin, but i think he just rested on his laurels and he's you know obviously he made enough money from these movies that he would
1: never have to work again And I think that's what
0: he did. I I might be wrong there, but I think that's kind of what he did.
1: I think it's kind of what he did, but also at the same time, I think there was a lot of drugs and, like, other things involved, which is not to judge him for any of that because, you know, I've done plenty of that stuff too, but he just did it under the microscope of a public eye. But he has acted in many things since then. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I'm torn in my own argument now because I don't know whether – yeah, maybe he did just rest on his laurels. Whatever he did, like whatever he did, is fine. I'm okay with it. I'm not, you know, asking Macaulay Calkin to be more than he is. But the image that I received from the media was that Macaulay Calkin was not living up to his potential. Well, one thing I will always be thankful to Macaulay Calkin for
0: is he took it upon himself to finance the recreation of one of my favorite all time video games, Toe Jam and Earl. What? Yeah, they
1: remade it, and it's uh, it's
0: available on PlayStation. And Macaulay Calkin is the reason why.
1: I love that game, so he wins in my book too. Then fuck. Yep.
0: Yeah, Macaulay Calkin is in in his own way a
1: hero. <laughs> yeah, Toe Jam and Earl was my shit. Oh,
0: I love that game. It's it's one of the top five. Like. I'm always talking about the desert Island thing. Mm -hmm. And if I could take it, you know, five games to a desert Island. Oh yeah. Toe jam and Earl's making the list.
1: And it was always like, I don't know if I ever
0: beat it. I don't think I ever beat it, but I never owned it. I just rented it. It's all time classic. Anyone who's not played toe jam and Earl, pause the podcast or better yet, listen to the podcast while playing the game.
1: Oh my God. You'd be so, it would just, be that'd be heaven right now. I'm actually going to look and see if I can download an emulator that I can play it later tonight. When I- but let's get
0: uh, back on track to the movie here for a minute. I guess we've kind of still been talking about the movie. We're talking yeah. about Macaulay. Yeah, yeah. But here in this scene now, he's, he's leaving the toy store, and he just so happens to bump into the sticky bandits who are scoping out the place for the later robbery. And we finally get a confrontation between Kevin And the sticky bandits here. Hiya, pal. (laughs) Yeah. I think last time, was it Marv who said it, or did you just attribute the quote to Marv and it was actually Harry? No, Harry said it. Harry says it in both movies. Yeah. So that's, it's not just you then. That's a famous line for everybody. Yeah, yeah. The marketing genius said that Hiya, pal is a famous Harry line. Yeah, that's my cheese
1: That's my cheese pizza.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for, (laughs) that's hilarious. Joe Pesci's famous line. Hiya, pal. Hiya, pal. Well, they do gather up Kevin here. They, you know, they catch him. But Kevin does the smart thing and just screams out. And all the passersby on the streets of New York stop and look at Marvin, Harry. And so Kevin runs away from them. And he, he uses a pearl necklace. So uh, a nice, <laughs> nice callback to the Batman series. Yeah. He buys a pearl necklace, throws it down on the sidewalk. And it's so yeah. slippery and gooey and that Marvin he, and Lloyd escape. And he runs right through it,
1: no problem. Like In the scene, he breaks it open, and like it's right all around his feet, and he takes off and was running through it. It's no problem. And then as soon as Marvin Harry hit it, they just wipe out completely. Yep. He's uh, not gone through puberty yet,
0: so the stickiness of the pearl necklace is not something that affects him.
1: Yeah, the pearl necklace is not as sticky when you're younger like that. No, but the sticky bandits. <laughs> the sticky bandits. <laughs> the sticky bandits, it is. <laughs> oh, God. We're just as sophomore as any podcast or any movie we've reviewed on the podcast.
0: That's true. We are. As far as a kill count goes, this is the first potential kill. Do they die from this or no? No, no.
1: That's um, not a kill.
0: I put a no to Only because they land on their backs If you yeah. land on your neck It's possible
1: It's possible I. I it's possible that I think you could uh, Paralyze yourself But I don't know about
0: die Yeah. Alright Well Kevin escapes And he runs back to the hotel Which uh, seems to me Like he rode a limo To get to the toy store So how is he running back to the hotel What did he just run like 10 miles
1: It was a short limo ride I guess <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much money he had in that envelope, but uh, limo rides are expensive, so maybe he just sprung for like a couple blocks.
0: Well, it seemed it seemed to be in coordination with the hotel, but when he gets the the room service bill later on, I would think the limo would have been on that bill.
1: Would have covered it room. alone?
0: Yeah, the number seemed way too small at the end when we hear what the number is. So. Yeah, I uh, don't know.
1: Maybe limo rides are cheaper than we think. I got to start asking around. I'll but be this taking- was 1992 also. Yeah, the price... There. At the price that Uber is right now, maybe limo rides are cheaper. I don't know.
0: But he runs into the hotel, and Mr. Hector, the con- concierge, has discovered that the credit cards were stolen. And now he's on to Kevin, so he's he's also pursuing Kevin. He's being chased from all sides here by the Sticky Bandits and by now the entire hotel staff. I didn't really like this scene at all, I'll be honest. There was like, whatever. Well, I mean, they play into the thing that they did last year where Kevin slides underneath their legs, which he did in the last movie. And also, he shouldn't be able to slide that far. I thought that was weird.
1: Wait, wait, where is it? When does he slide?
0: He slides under their legs to get to the elevator on the hotel lobby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like the last one on the ice rink. He slid to evade the cops. And then he gets up to his room and he plays the dirty movie, the Angels with Filthy Souls movie. And this scene is really long, too, right? Like, kind of yeah, yeah. too long?
1: The same exact thing happens. They dive out thinking that they're getting shot by a Tommy gun. And But the thing that really struck me as weird is as Tim Curry's dragging himself away, he's not using his legs. Like, <laughs> Army crawl, man. Yeah, he's just, like, pulling himself on his arms. It's like, you can still use your legs. You, you didn't get shot.
0: Yeah, this whole little scam was... It was believable in the last movie because they were outside of his house, so it was somewhat believable. But these guys were in the same room. It was just like take a couple steps and know that it's on the TV. I don't know. It. it, it and didn't work also,
1: also, I know that the TV sound systems weren't that good back in the day, so there's no way they mistook it for someone really in the room. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It
0: it wasn't believable last time, but it was really unbelievable this time. And Kevin goes out the fire escape, and they're so scared of this. <laughs> tv gunshot that they none of them even look and so kevin escapes completely from the hotel
1: well we had to suspend our disbelief for most of this movie so why not one more time oh yeah well it's not going to be just one more time it happens why not why um, a
0: lot why not a hundred more times yeah why not a hundred more times so <clears throat> we think he's escaping the hotel scot-free but as soon as he gets out of the fire escape. The sticky bandits are waiting there for him and they gather him up and this time they've they fully caught him and they're taking him I think they say they're gonna go put him on ice that means they're gonna murder him right
1: yeah they're gonna kill him he says there's uh, oh they can they get his plane ticket and he was like sorry American Airlines don't fly to the promised land or, or he's referring to heaven <laughs> they're gonna kill him
0: yeah they're gonna kill that's brutal man
1: Oh, yeah. What else are you going to do? What do you think these guys have been trying to do to this kid the whole time?
0: They were, I mean, I, you think they're just going to talk to him and tell him not to interfere. <laughs> but yeah, I guess they really would kill him.
1: After he like basically ruined their lives and sent them to prison and beat them up and, and outsmarted them. They're going to get him and be like, now that we finally have you, we'd like to give you a good, strong talking to. <laughs> they're hoodlums. They're going to murder this fucking kid.
0: Yeah, and as you said, what are you going to do? You know, and I'll tell you what Kevin's going to do. He's going to use a bit of strategic sexual harassment.
1: It's okay if it's strategic, right?
0: Yeah, I guess so. It's okay if it's a little kid because I don't think – you think they got a stunt double, or did they ask 10-year-old Macaulay Culkin to pinch this woman's
1: ass? Uh, I think they probably asked him to do it. So like, Macaul- get, Macaulay
0: Culkin became a man here tonight.
1: If you get a stump double, you're just having another kid pinch the, that woman's ass. So, like, unless you get a midget to do it. Oh, whoa. Oh, I mean a small person. Yeah, unless you get a little person. You've gotten on to me so
0: many times. Little person. Midget in the past. Ah, oh. shit.
1: Sorry, I fucked up. Little that's person. A, that's a hard M. I got so yeah, I, I win the podcast. Wait a, wait a second. No, because in the 90s, they were called midgets. But now they're called little person. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> All right, I'll cut you a break on that since this is a 90s yeah, movie. I'll cut I was rest.
1: being historically accurate. All right, so uh,
0: Hard M retracted. You don't, <laughs> you, don't <laughs> lose the, you don't lose the podcast for that. <laughs>
2: okay. Thank but
0: you. Ke- but Kevin, whether it's a, a a little person or not, a stunt double, Kevin reaches out and grabs this woman's ass at the crosswalk and she turns around and blames Lloyd. I always want to call him Lloyd.
1: Cause, cause Lloyd. Harry, Harry Lloyd, and Lloyd. Harry and Lloyd. Yeah, from uh, Dumb and Dumber.
0: Yeah, yeah, but instead of, they were they were the
1: first Dumb and Dumber.
0: Uh, th- that came after this movie, I think.
1: No, that's what I'm saying. They were they did it first. Oh yeah, the, the
0: uh, Sticky Bandits were the yeah first were Dumber. the original Dumb and Dumber. They were, and they get knocked out by this supermodel or whatever she is. She punches both of them completely out, and then Kevin runs away from her. So that's the way he escaped this time. Was, that was uh, kind of clever, I thought. I, I don't know. It's yeah, that interesting. was interesting.
1: But it's funny because he pinches her, and she turns around. It's the same girl that Marv tried to hit on earlier. And he sees her, and he goes, oh, mon cherie. Like, speaking French to a woman is just, like, the most romantic thing you can do. And she just knocks him out. And then he goes, no, it was him. And she knocks out the
0: other one, right?
1: He did it, and he goes, did what? And she just knocks him out. And she's she jumper cuts him, too. She, like, cuts straight up through both of their faces.
0: Well, it's a better punch than the one Kevin threw earlier. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But she's also a supermodel. She's got great thighs. You can generate a lot of force from those thighs. Great power from that. Yeah, that's
0: true. But I wanted to point out here in this one that Marv doesn't exceptionally good job. Like, he's more over the top in this one in terms of with the comedy, but he is really funny.
1: He is a physical comedy genius throughout this whole film. Like, with his face, yeah. Yeah, his whole face and his expressions and his voice, the way he uses it. Like, he really plays the, which is a key in comedy, is playing the truth of the situation. So in a comedy, you don't want to play what's funny. You want to play the truth of what's happening to the character. And that is written funny by the author, and then it'll be funny. And he does an excellent job of just staying true to that and not trying to play it up too much, but playing the truth of what would happen, say, if you got hit in the face with a brick. What would happen, say, if a woman punched you in the face at the crosswalk? Like, it's still true in, in the world of what's going on, but also funny because of what's happening. Yeah, I just had to get a shout-out to
0: Daniel Stern there, man, because he, is, he does an excellent job in this one, even better than before, I think. He's, he's a highlight of both movies. Agreed. And so now escaped from the Sticky Bandits, Kevin is running. He can't go back to the hotel, obviously. He had seen in his father's pocketbook that he has an uncle in New York. And Kevin, of course, selfishly at the time, had vowed to visit his uncle for the Christmas presents. He said he always gives good Christmas presents. But now that he needs some help, he's looking to go and see his uncle at his house.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the uncle, we never meet the uncle, but he, we we do get a mention earlier from Mr. McAllister that I wonder if he would is smart enough to go visit my brother or
0: whatever. The mom says, well, I hope he doesn't go there because he's not home
1: and also they're renovating the apartment yeah it's like he's in france forever also this is more leading into mr McAllister. he's got a brother who owns a brownstone apartment in on 95th and and central park essentially so this guy comes from some serious money or has money and he's vacationing in france while the place is renovated who is this family connected to I think they got some shit going on and that's just more
0: evidence there. Yeah. So Kevin now, after realizing that his uncle is not home and he can't go to the hotel and the wet, uh, the sticky bandits are on his trail. He is terrified and running through the streets of New York. And he's faced with the brutal truth of the homeless problem in America. And this finally <laughs> is, is too much for Kevin to handle.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good, that's a good way to to put it.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, These people are just homeless people on the street, right? They're not necessarily monsters. They look scary physically, but you see some prostitutes, a cab driver that's missing an eye. Uh, A crazy lady that's
1: just rambling, incoherent nonsense walks by him. I mean, that's all pretty standard stuff that you see in New York, but uh, he gets a dose of it all at once. what What do you think these
0: prostitutes were thinking when they said you need someone to read you a bedtime story? Were they propositioning Kevin there?
1: I think they were just making a joke, but I know what I was thinking. Get that bedtime story, bro. <laughs> but he doesn't. He's actually afraid of the prostitute.
0: So I guess he grabbed that ass earlier and he didn't like it. And he doesn't yeah. want to do it anymore.
1: Well, it's a, he knows it's a bad thing.
0: So he goes to Central Park, which I know from reading about serial killers that that's not a place you want to be at nighttime, right? Central Park's very dangerous, isn't it?
1: Uh, it seems to attract weird people, that's for sure.
0: Kevin thinks it's a good place to go, and when he gets there, he confronts yet again the pigeon lady. He tries to run away from her, but her his foot gets stuck in these tree roots, and he's seemingly doomed, but the pigeon lady actually helps him out, revealing that she is a kindly old lady that just needs a friend.
1: Yep. And uh, and he starts to run away and he gets all freaked out. Then he comes back and he's like, I'm sorry, it was rude of me to scream in your face like that. And he makes an unlikely friend in the Pigeon Lady and then they go to the opera. And uh, I'm a little jealous because she's not paying a dime and she's up there seeing all these wonderful acts and I never got in to see anything good like that.
0: All you have to do is make friends with the pigeons and they carry you up there that's how they got up there
1: oh uh, if that's how they got there then that that's fine because you know i'm not willing to fly by pigeon up to the roof but but if it's just a back door with the, into an entrance of the elevator then i want it well kevin
0: seemingly appreciates this and he witnesses the opera with her and then they have this long talk and it parallels the scene between Kevin and the the shovel slayer from the first movie in the church. And this one, Kevin explains to the woman who, what is it that her problem is? She lost her family. They left her or something like
1: that. Uh, She claims to suffer from a broken heart at one point. We don't get any real backstory other than somebody broke her heart and she couldn't trust anybody after that, I think.
0: Yeah, we don't get any more details than that because Kevin is not really thoughtful enough to ask. No, he said. He just talks about himself and his own situation and and tries to make her no, similar
1: to his. Well, maybe but no. Now, he she says something and then he retorts with his point of view on the situation and she agrees with him and she he she actually learns through what he says to her. I think uh so so it's not it's not all bad. Uh, I'm wondering how Kevin has this insight into life at this age but that's for the movie magic to unveil and for me to discover. So he starts talking about how I don't think people mean to hurt you. Sometimes they just forget or sometimes they you know, people forget about each other and it's not intentional. You know, it's something that happens in life but is not intentional. And she learns from this grand statement that this 10-year-old is making.
0: Uh, does she though? Cuz He tells her to change her clothes and to be around people and to give people a second chance. But every time we see her after this, she's still just hanging out with the pigeons. It's not like she moves on from that phase of her life.
1: Well, she's slowly but surely growing. She's at least getting more open to the idea because she says something to the effect of, yeah, I guess I've been doing a pretty good job of keeping people away from me because he talks about dressing in something maybe that doesn't have so much pigeon poop on it.
0: Yeah, well, I guess you're giving Kevin more credit than I'm willing to give him here. Because I felt like Kevin was a bit of a sociopath in this movie and definitely manipulated people to get what he wanted. And I thought this was more of an example of Kevin preserving his own self and getting out of the situation that he was in, but just kind of placating this woman. I don't think he really means any any of the goodwill that he's presenting to her.
1: Well, I don't think you're wrong about Kevin being manipulative. That's, I think, Kevin is a little manipulative bastard, but at the same time, manipulation doesn't always happen for bad. Manipulation sometimes happens for good. Sometimes you manipulate people out of feeling anger or feeling hatred or feeling jealousy. So I don't think, I think manipulation is sort of misunderstood in the idea of manipulation is just strategic thinking. It's for good or for bad. It can be both.
0: My ultimate point is if Kevin really wanted to help out this woman, who's obviously homeless, maybe give her a couple dollars to buy a meal at some point or help well, her he, out in more ways than just a hep <laughs> talk. You know? He does have a lot of extra cash. He should he be. Does. He's, he's loaded with cash. Like he, Help this lady out.
1: I mean, he just forked over a 20 to the Dunkin' Toy guys. Who knows if that's actually going to charity. This Dunkin' Toy guy, I mean, he's a rich fucking toy tycoon. He could be stealing from everybody. Who knows? But she's actually poor. Like that's I always said. If you're gonna give your money to charity, don't give it to a charity organization. Just walk up to a homeless person that you know needs it and give it to them.
0: Yeah, just hand it over. He even his advice is for her to get new clothes. How's she buying new clothes, Kev? Maybe help her out just a little bit, man. But yeah, he doesn't. He just he just talks. That's that's how he helps. He talks to her. Yep. Well, this scene to me was long, way too long, way too lame. I didn't enjoy it. But I, you know. Maybe it's just because I'd seen it a couple times already. Uh, maybe I'm being a little too hard on it.
1: <clears throat> well, it did. It was. It was really the only scene of substance, as far as I can decipher, uh, that it has actually some sort of attempt at a message or some sort of attempt at, at uh, yeah, grasping at some human roots to this movie. They uh, were attempting the, something here, but it didn't
0: land with me anyway. I, I didn't buy it. You know, I didn't buy her acting here either. What was wrong hard. what
1: was wrong with her acting what' did she do that was wrong
0: I guess it must be hard to play off of a kid actor like this because we Macaulay does a decent job but a serious scene for sure yeah yeah I think it's meant to be a serious scene
1: and I just didn't I don't know I just didn't buy it interesting because I found the scene very touching and uh, and it was one, it's one of my favorite scenes of the middle, of the film so I don't know that's weird
0: I mean, she is an Academy Award-winning actress, so.
1: Well, I mean, it's not—it's not about it being in the right or the wrong. It's just like how the scene affected you. I don't know, like uh, I feel like even at the because I like the scene at the end. He says something. What does he say? Oh, he says, "If you're looking for somebody to talk to, I'll be that. I, I'm that person. I'll I'll never forget you." And she says, "Don't make promises you can't you can't keep." keep. And I'm like, and it ends on that note. So it ends, she's still kind of a pessimist about her situation, which she's a homeless person in New York, so it's a pretty dire situation. But and uh, he
0: does nothing to improve her situation, even up to the very end of the movie. He,
1: no, no, he does plenty to improve her situation. He gives her hope and makes her start. She says, I haven't talked to a person. She's like, do you know I haven't talked to somebody for almost two years? Like people walk and see yeah. me. People see me on the streets and they wish that I wasn't part of their city and they wish I didn't exist. So she's felt like an ostracized outcast for years and years and now Kevin's talking to her in a friendly manner and it's it's helping melt that ice-cold barrier that she's built up around her heart. But are you saying that you think
0: Kevin continues to correspond with her after the events of the movie like he's promising? I don't know about that. We have no we have no
1: reason to believe he does or does not.
0: Well, that's my instinct told me that no, he never made an attempt to contact this homeless person again after this movie. And he probably forgot all about her. So I, well, she even says it like you can keep this promise. And listen, I agree with her. That
1: says more about you than it does about the movie, okay? Your instinct says that he doesn't do that. You got to throw your instinct out the window because it's all about what's in the script or not in the script. Nothing in the script says he does or does not
0: there's a lot of evidence that kevin is a psychopath though and <laughs> and and that is part of my leaning toward why i don't think he had
1: the heart to call this woman
0: what happened to right. sam the slayer he's not mentioned in this movie at all that's kevin's best friend from the last movie So probably
1: my instincts telling me he murdered him and put him in a uh, yeah church. you're oh. damn right he
0: salted his ass away that's what he did <laughs> <laughs> the student killed the master. He salted him away, and
1: the next lady sure. is the, the
0: pigeon lady. The and, homeless that you feed on. And
1: then we see his final form and the good son.
0: <laughs> yes, he's killed twice, and that's oh my the, god. The good son is just
1: the third sequel to yes. the movie. Oh my god, the finish to the Home Alone trilogy.
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's official. We have to do the good son at some point.
1: Oh god. We're just going to introduce it as Home Alone 3. Home real- Alone 3, the good son. Yeah, Home Alone 3, the good son.
0: Holy shit, dude. That wow. is, that's amazing.
1: That's amazing what we just uncovered. I mean, all crazy. of it, none of it is actual, actually real. The
0: web is, is there. I'm saying that. The web, the web
1: is there. That just goes to show how deep conspiracy theories can run. <laughs> <laughs> and on what, on, on what kind of fuel they're running.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think one final reason that I don't like this long scene, this heart to heart scene, is because it's the calm before the storm that everyone has been waiting for the whole time you're watching this movie. And that's Kevin preparing to murder the sticky bandits. (laughs) And they get the the music all, we got hyped up for the music last time, and, and they play the same music again this time.
1: Oh, yeah. I must protect this house, only it's New York. I must protect New York.
0: Yeah, well, he's not protecting New York as so much as he's protecting the toy store, he thinks, by uh, stopping them from... Yeah. He, he sees that kid in the window, and then he's like, oh, I gotta stop these robbers from <clears throat> putting kids on Christmas.
1: Yeah, like, he's a do-gooder. I mean, he's on... The, uh, the, that's, what, that's where your psychopath uh, or sociopath theory kind of falls apart, is that he's pretty charitable.
0: Yeah, I it does fall apart, unless... I mean, you can easily make the case that He's not doing it so much to help the kids as he enjoys almost killing the sticky bandits here. I mean, he's, uh, I'm he's not, getting off on
1: it. I'm not going to say he doesn't enjoy it because he definitely does a few. Yes. Got him. Oh, yeah. He does that quite a few times, but his intentions I believe are pure at the beginning. Now I the good son. They do warp into something completely <laughs> twisted. Well, a little more
0: evidence for me, I think, is this blueprint that he lays out to protect. I guess It's his uncle's house that he's protecting, right? Yeah. All right, so this blueprint that he lays out to protect the house has clearly already been made. There's no way he'd had the time to make it before nightfall there. So he's been planning this out and dreaming about this for, for some time,
1: I think. Well, time doesn't really work linearly in this world because – just traveling all over new york and he runs like he gets off when he escapes the the marvin harry he's at columbus circle and then when they chase him the next scene he's at like a he's at a specific pond in the upper middle part of central park well central park is like 30 some blocks like that would take a really long time to get to so the timing around getting around New York is just not accurate.
0: Unless we get to the fourth movie in which Macaulay Culkin plays Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, just so he can get from place to place really fast. Oh, okay. All right. He's not in the movie Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs>
1: okay, I thought, I was like, wait a second, did I miss something where he was in Sonic the Hedgehog? That would be awesome if he was, but no, just Jim okay. Carrey. All right. All right,
0: well then let's uh, take a quick break and when we return, we will begin the killing spree of Kevin McAllister.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look what you did, you little jerk. We haven't checked in on Kevin's family for a bit, and they are still on their vacation. They've arrived in Florida now, a busload full of people. And it's pouring the rain down there in a tropical storm. This is for the uncle and all his cousins. I don't. Why do they feel the need to show this?
1: I mean, it just shows that they're staying in some schlocky hotel in, in Florida, and the weather is horrible, which is kind of unrealistic for Florida because the old saying of Florida is, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it is, and, and
0: then it's beautiful. The point is that they would be having more fun maybe not being on Florida for Christmas. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Remember remember when we were stuck, we were walking down the beach and it started raining and our feet were like getting soaked and we were all wrinkled. Then all of a sudden the sun comes out and it's hot and muggy again. Yeah, all the time. It, uh, rained,
0: yeah. it rained like at least once a day
1: down there. Every, yeah, every every day it rains for like 20, 30 minutes. Well, they they don't
0: like the climate there. The family doesn't. And Kevin's parents have arrived at the hotel. They show up and they immediately blame the hotel staff for losing Kevin. <laughs>
1: yeah it's like it's,
0: if this kid's hard to hold on to you should know that better than anybody and you're his parents so come on
1: yeah and it's like all they did was ask him about the credit card and he took off they let him stay there like they weren't tossing him out
0: that's what i so. mean like tim curry's guy really wasn't a villain he didn't do anything wrong outside of his job except for sneaking into the room that
1: one time well, except for the fact that we know and like Kevin, and he had it out for Kevin.
0: Yeah, he was trying to keep Kevin alive, but yeah, yeah, he, so, he, so he did kind of have it out. For he him. had it out
1: for Kevin, and in that reason, for that reason, it makes him the heel.
0: So That's true. He is bad, and he gets slapped for it. So that's the end of Tim Curry. See you later. See you next time. Darkness. Darkness. We'll see you later, and Rob Schneider here, and the mom sets off to look for Kevin within the city. Kevin is laying traps all around his uncle's house, which is this abandoned building that's being renovated, and his plan is to lure the sticky bandits away from the toy store into the house to kill them. Murder in the second degree. Yeah, so it, it would be second degree, right, since they're all traps? Well, since there's two of them. That's not. That's not how it works, is it? I don't know how it works at all. Uh, Did, didn't I make that
1: abundantly clear during uh, my cousin Yeah,
0: that's true. You you know nothing about law <laughs> yeah. whatsoever.
1: I thought second degree murder just means you kill two people.
0: No, I think that's two char- two counts of murder. Well, how do you kill one person twice? You kill two different people. You, two charges of murder. Second yeah. degree murder would be like laying a trap for somebody, and then he dies from the trap. What? Yeah, that's that would be second degree. You didn't physically touch him to kill him, but you laid the trap, so that's second degree murder. What's well, third degree? That's if you like uh were in a car accident maybe with with harmful intent, but maybe not malicious intent.
1: That's manslaughter.
0: Yeah, I think the fourth degree would be manslaughter. Uh, and that's like accidentally killing someone fully accidentally. <clears throat> I don't know. It's uh, it's
1: real complicated.
0: I think I'm right on that. I'm going to stake the claim of the podcast on that.
1: Oh, oh dear. Uh, there we go. Uh-oh. We know how that turns out in the
0: have past. Well, if I am correct, Kevin is attempting to commit plenty of second degree murder here on these guys mm-hmm. because he throws a rock through the or a brick through the glass at the toy store to set off the alarm. He takes their picture, and this ensures that they will chase after him to try to get the camera back, and. Right here is the first of the traps, and I just wrote a list of all the traps, and mm-hmm. we can discuss whether you think it's a death or not. Yeah. This first one though, it, it's kind of a turnoff. It's so unrealistic. He sets this little springboard outside. No, oh, yeah, yeah. They will jump out and chase him, and they springboard Harry like thirty feet up into the air, where he then lands yeah. in this car and explodes the car. Like, come on, crushes
1: the car. Well, it's all unrealistic. So I, I'm, t- I'm not. Like the way he hits that car, you think that might have killed a man, but he wouldn't have sprang that high, and he shouldn't have.
0: It's unrealistic. Yeah, yeah it's it, just... it would have been a death to fall from that height, but he should have <clears> never <throat> been at that height. Exactly, and that's one of the downfalls here in the second movie with this part of the movie. All the first movie, the traps were mostly realistic or yeah. could potentially be done.
1: These ones, that one's probably the most unrealistic. So it just starts on
0: a bad note. Uh, it does. The next one. One of my favorite lines comes from this scene, and it's when he gets to the house, he gets up onto the roof, the sticky bandits show up, and Kevin starts just throwing bricks down at their head. Not really so much of of a trap as he's he's trying to kill them.
1: He's a a savant. He's deadly accurate. He doesn't miss with any of his throws. Well,
0: he misses if he's trying to hit Harry. But if he's not trying to hit Harry and he's aiming for Marv, he hits him every single time.
1: He hits Marv every single time in the face. And I think it's strategically to weaken Marv because he's the taller, stronger person. So he's trying to just beat him down first. Well, the last time he's
0: definitely trying to hit Harry. And Harry moves and Marv gets hit again. It's
1: pretty funny here, actually.
2: Harry!
1: uh what's his name daniel uh stern daniel stern does an excellent job
0: in this scene and we can agree that these every single one of these brick throws is a certain yeah yeah no
1: that's a death that's a death shot from that height a brick to the face
0: yeah that'll kill you i like harry's line here whenever he says nobody throws a brick (laughs) at me and gets away with it even though he just hit his partner with 10 bricks he just makes it all about himself I i love that line
1: yeah, come on, get up, Marv. is kind of hit in the face by three or four bricks. So then the next death
0: I wrote down here, or possible death, is when Marv has gotten up and he's looking through the keyhole of the basement. And it's either a nail gun or a staple gun. Uh, it, you see the him staples, come out of it, it. looks like staples at one point, but then at a different time it looked like a nail. So I wasn't sure. It goes into his eye. No,
1: no, no, no. You, you missed... It, it, it goes into his nose Right under his eye Yeah, it goes like right around his nose And pierces his nose He's got one in his dick, one in his butt One in his nose So that's not a kill None of
0: those would be a kill, right? No, yeah If it was a nail gun instead of a staple gun Would the one to the
1: face be a kill? A, a nail to the nose Like, you could You could probably survive it, it still would, Yeah, you could still survive as long as it didn't go in your brain
0: All right, I I wrote down non-death there, too, so we're in agreement. Okay. Uh, Marv, I'm sorry, not Marv, Harry climbs up the ladder escape, and the way that he falls, because uh, Kevin has greased the ladder escape with this green goo that's super slippery, and so Harry falls, and he lands directly on his neck and head area when he lands. I think this one was a death, or if not a death, a likely paralysis. No, he lands on his
1: back. No, I think you <laughs> it's, have like the upper, one. it's like the upper neck back area, like it's the top of the shoulders. I don't think it's a kill. Possible, um, uh, crippling paralysis, yeah, possible paralysis.
0: paralysis. There,
1: possible paralysis. I don't think it's a kill, though.
0: Yeah, that's I, that, I wrote down the same thing. It seems like Marv always gets it way worse. Yeah, now. Marv is
1: the it gets the brunt of everything the worst. Because the next three or four of Marv's are all kills.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe not this one. The next one I wrote for Marv is after he opens the door, he walks into this abandoned apartment, and he says, ah, finally here. He's completely unable to see the gigantic hole right in front of him, and he falls from the second floor down to the basement flat on his face. Probably Maybe. not a death here. Probably, but probably not. What an idiot, though. I mean, come on. It's right there.
1: Yeah, one story fall probably won't kill you, but
0: yeah. No, it's still so stupid.
1: Yeah, just like, how do you not see that fucking huge? He even says,
0: wow, what a hole. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what a hole. Yeah,
0: I love that. Line. I didn't write that line down, but what a hole. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's a ridiculous thing to
1: yeah, say. Yeah, what a ridiculous thing to say after you just walk straight through it.
0: Now, Harry gets his door open up on the uh, maybe third floor, second or third floor, and there's a trap with some tools, like a toolbox up above. The tools all fall on Harry's head as he opens the door. This is definitely not a kill here. Not, not a kill, but... Not even a very clever trap, really. No, that is a clever
1: trap, though. That's like, the, when he opens the door, it unzips the bag, and all the tools fall down on his head. Like, those tools are probably fucking heavy as shit. It's going to hurt, bad. it's not, as, not a kill, though.
0: All right, well, I, I wasn't impressed by the cleverness of that, but I well, guess-
1: the the Kevin's understanding of physics and uh, like how things work, like he probably invented the game Mousetrap. Remember that board game? You know, I remember Mousetrap. That's what I'm saying. Like he has an expert level of of what's of cause and effect.
0: Oh, well, I guess if you're the type of person that needs your adult killing traps spoon fed to you. You might think that Kevin's an expert, <laughs> but I actually think Kevin's following uh, up his game in this one.
1: Yeah. You really, you really tried to jar that one in there. Okay. Weak, weak play. Yeah, whatever. All right. New one.
0: Tools to the head. No death. Now, Marv in the basement starts sliding on the green goo. And it's pretty funny here the way he's trying to keep his balance and not fall. Yeah. I don't know how they pulled that off, but he's, You think he's really
1: doing that? Like, or is there a stunt Mm. double,
0: or how'd they pull this off? Uh,
1: I would assume some sort of stunt situation set up, but they're probably not trying to put him in real danger like that. But pretty impressive. Yeah, it was cool. But he falls, he slides down
0: the concrete, and then the scaffolding with all the paint cans falls down on top of him. Maybe a death, but probably not here either. I don't think. Probably not a death here either. We've seen the the scaffolding fall on people in Batman and in there was another movie where it killed a guy instantly. Or it killed him in Batman. It didn't kill him in Ghost. So uh past movie experiences. Oh, no. We don't know how the scaffolding's gonna wind up. You may die from that, but it didn't look no. lethal here. Yeah. Uh then we have this one is the most certain death, I think, of all. That's the electrocution trap. Where- oh yeah. <laughs> they even show they even show his skeleton. Yeah, yeah that was so stupid
1: <laughs> yeah that, that was cheesy but at the same time you know like
0: yeah that would have killed him well marv is holding on to this i don't know what it is but he's holding it and he's being shocked and kevin is controlling the electric voltage and he and turns just, it all the <laughs> way up just cranking it up a little sadistic bastard with a sickening smile on his face like kevin oh, is like he's He loves loving it, it. And, yeah, you can see a, a fake skeleton that they made to look like you can see his bones. Looks yeah. completely ridiculous, but still kind of funny.
1: He grows up
0: to be the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, then there's a certain death here for Harry. He again gets his head lit on fire, much like the first movie. And he doesn't notice that it's on fire at first because that you know, they do the torch thing up on his hat. But then. Oh, yeah. he- he looks in the mirror. Dunk, yeah, he dunks
1: his head in a fucking vat of uh, the toilet full of, was it kerosene?
0: Yeah, kerosene or gasoline. Yeah, and that, would kill, that would kill you. That's a definite kill. But That would he, fry he, you a lot.
1: You would burn and be charred. He'd, he'd still be on fire.
0: Yep, that's a certain death there. Then uh, there is Marv down in the basement. He's found a way out, and he has to climb this rope. So he pulls on the rope, and it seems solid enough. But then when he puts his oh, whole yeah. weight onto it, it's a
1: hundred pound hundred pound, pound bag of
0: concrete falling on your head. That's a death. That's a death for sure. And he even looks up at it. So it would have jarred his neck back. That's a certain death. There. <laughs>
1: How funny is this scene, though? Like he's jerking on his like, hey, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. And as soon as he jumps up, puts all his weight on, it just starts falling. And he's like pulling the rope. It's like like he reminds me of Wiley e. Coyote. Yeah,
0: yeah, he was exactly like Wiley in this. Yeah, because yeah. he could have moved, but he just sat there and held the rope, and he was and like, he's like Uh-oh. He,
1: he keeps pulling the rope, and it's just limp, and he's like, huh? huh? Like he could have held up a sign that was just like, ouch, and it would have been
0: hilarious. Yep, and that one was a death for sure. Uh, then I wrote down ladder fall, so someone fell off a ladder here, but I wrote no death, so I don't. Oh know. yeah,
1: yeah, that's one of the weaker ones because. Uh, Harry's climbing up the ladder that he's pre-cut and he falls. And it's not a very big fall. but So the two of them are together
0: now. Marv has made it up to the top. He he built this little, like, a tower so he could climb up. The two of them are together and they're coming after Kevin. And he tries the paint can thing, like in the first movie, and they outsmart him a little bit there. Mm -hmm. They pretend that they got hit, but they actually didn't. And so they make their way up. And now Kevin has this giant steel mast, like a like a ship mast or something. Like a railing
1: or some, something, yeah.
0: No clue how Kevin was strong enough to rig this thing, but he got it rigged, and it hits him square in the face. This is a certain death.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, because it knocks him also a story and a half. They fall from, like, halfway up the second story, through the hole, down to the bottom, after this thing hit him. That's a story and a half.
0: Kevin cuts the ropes and it falls on top of them, too. So that's more
1: death. Even. Yeah. If, if they didn't die there,
0: they die again.
1: Yeah. And then when that thing falls on them, that's the, that's the icing on the cake. So that's a whole nother kill. Yep. And then there's one
0: more trap here that they had. Kevin had put the tool chest at the top of the stairs and rigged it to where when they opened the door to chase him, the tool chest would fall on them. This was another one that was very unrealistic. Physics-defined, I think, would be a way to describe it. Because the chest uh, yeah. would just fall down. It wouldn't slide the way it does and press them against the wall. But Yeah, no. It does, and it's not even a death. So I, I didn't no. like this tool chest one.
1: No, not, not a death. <clears throat>
0: they do put some prosthetic noses on the two guys so that they can look broken. And then they oh. snap them back into place. That is a
1: nice little moment where he goes, that sound was made by a tool chest going down the stairs. <laughs> like their fa- like his face is glued in. It's like total cartoon comedy, but it, it works for some reason so well with these two. Because these two are like a cartoon. It's like the super short chubby guy with the tall skinny guy. They're like a cartoon combo for sure. I just made, I just made the connection... Kevin is the roadrunner and these two are the are Wally Coyote like the entire time. Yeah, they're they're chasing
0: them cartoonishly and being murdered cartoonishly the whole time.
1: Over and over and over.
0: And it has to be cartoonish to lessen the impact of the brutality of these scenes because these traps are way more brutal than the first movie. There's no oh, denying. For sure, for sure.
1: And then we got another one coming up. They chase him up to the roof.
0: Yeah, this is the last one I think. They chase him up to the roof kevin escapes on a rope he greased the rope in kerosene and they start climbing it down to chase after him and kevin lights the rope on fire so they try to climb back up obviously they don't make it they let go and they fall like three four stories this is
1: that's una- death. unequivocal death. yeah there's no a, way for sure four story fall yeah that's probably a death i mean you or, could you could live through it but majoritively you're gonna die
0: yeah, you're definitely not going to just be talking regularly like they pretty much are right after Yeah, that. they just get right up. So uh, unrealistic deaths aside, let's say, what, what would be the count here? What's the death count?
1: I mean, I put it at six. I don't know, though. I feel, I feel like we might have had more than that.
0: I've got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I've got six, too. All right, so six. Six, six including death. the burning rope fall. And maybe six and a half if you count the paralysis. That maybe could have been a death. but So that's a push. Yeah, it's a push on the over-under again. Six. Yeah. They, they know the right number, too. The marketing yeah. genius really did a number on <laughs> this one.
1: Don't go too far. Don't go too
0: fast. You know, Not
1: too light on the death.
0: Not too heavy on the death.
1: Exactly. Wait till we get to good boy. Wait, what is it? Good son. Good son, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's when we can get real twisted.
0: Oh, yeah. So now Kevin finally calls the cops and he alerts them into what's going on. And this is just more proof that Kevin really is, enjoys this shit. He could have called the cops at any time. He just yeah. loves messing with these guys. Yeah. yeah. So after he's determined that the robbers have suffered adequately, he runs away, and the first and only time that he slips up, literally he slips on some ice, and they have caught him now. He, he lost his footing, and after all that, they're yeah. fine, and they they've caught him.
1: Yeah, that's horrible, too. Like, he's been beating their ass the whole time, and then he slips one time, and now they've got him.
0: Yep. And so yeah. he's seemingly doomed here as they walk him to the park to murder him. But, no, the pigeon lady, his old new friend, shows <laughs> up, and since they're all covered in various things, Harry's covered in goo, like the slippery goo. and
1: Oh, yeah, all the all the paint thinner and paint and stuff fell off the roof onto them just to complete that last death kill because they fell all the way down and knocked all the paint and shit on them. Like, all that rope had to do was fall down and in the middle of them, and it would have burnt them alive.
0: Oh, yeah, the flaming rope. I wondered about that. They, anybody. The flaming rope, and they were covered with, uh, the like, paint thinner or the whatever.
1: The kerosene and the paint thinner and all that. The, anybody could have lit a match and threw it on them, and they would have gone up like a 4th of July firecracker. highly flammable the
0: two of them are but that's not the reason they're covered in this sticky stuff this paint thinner the reason is so that the pigeon lady could throw a bucket full of seed onto the two robbers and after all these brutal and and death worthy attacks this is the final straw a flock of birds is the ultimate bane of the sticky bandits
1: yeah the straw that broke the camel's back As they're covered in pigeon seed, they're attacked by every single pigeon in New York all at once, and they peck out their eyes and pluck out their livers and gnaw at their bellies. No, actually, they're just eating the pigeon seed off of them, and they go to jail. And in case you were feeling like you were deprived
0: of Marv doing the famous Marv scream from the first movie when the spider crawls on him, They give it to you here as the pigeons Mm -hmm. are on them. You get the famous Marv scream. It's a really high-pitched and awesome scream. He's famous for that, too. Mm -hmm. So the cops show up because Kevin has let off some fireworks to alert them to their location. The pigeon lady goes off to continue to be a pigeon lady, and uh, the cops show up and arrest the sticky bandits.
1: It all wraps up in the end, and we get exactly what we came And I ordered a Big Mac, and I ordered it in New York, and then I ordered it in Chicago, and then I ordered it in Miami, and guess what? The Big Mac came exactly the same fucking way in all three places.
0: Yep, same old formula, same old shit, but if that's what you're looking for, that's what you got.
1: And if that's what you got, it ain't bad, because that's two of the highest grossing Christmas movies of all time
0: yeah and we we're not quite done with this one yet though we have not we have have to wrap it up all we have now is the reunion between kevin and his mom the mom figures out that kevin would be at the rockefeller christmas tree and she goes there and they even reenact the awkward reunion that they did in the first one we commented on how awkward it was in the first one how the mom didn't just run up and hug kevin and they stop and They look at each other and have a a strange conversation first. It's a strained
1: relationship. It's complicated. I like it.
0: Yeah, they they kept with it, so I kind of respect that. They did it again in this one. Yeah, I don't know if they realized they were doing it, but they did it. Yep. But it was, again, another scene. It was supposed to be touching maybe a little too long for me because the movie's going on two hours here. Yeah. And then one final scene the next day, the whole family wakes up in the hotel and they're At first, Kevin says, hey, don't wake up. Santa won't come to the hotel. But it turns out that the nice toy store owner Mr. Duncan. Mr. Duncan, the guy he
1: talked to at the counter, turns out to be actually the owner, who's such a good guy that he works the register on uh, Christmas Eve. Yep, and he's actually Santa Claus.
0: And so he drops off presents for the entire family. And this rich mob family still is not too good for some free shit. And and they're completely overwhelmed by the presents, and they lose track of
1: Kevin yet again. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Guess who's not invited to this Christmas party? The pigeon lady. The pigeon lady. But Kevin does have to go see her. Buzz makes this grand gesture
0: of letting Kevin open the first gift, and he does. But then the rest of them, even the parents and the adults, they all just dig right into the presence and Kevin
1: well, escapes out the side. You've missed the entire full circle of of Buzz's character. Because in the beginning he gives this big grand fake apology. Right? Yeah. And in the end he gives this very meaningful apology to Kevin and everyone else that's supposed to be like, hey, Buzz has learned his lesson too. Everyone's learned their lesson.
0: Kevin has grown from this, or Buzz has grown from this in respect exactly, to Exactly,
1: exactly. So it's, it's the antithesis of what he did in the beginning, and that's what creates the growth in his character, even though his character is the amalgamation of, say, two scenes. Uh, good, good job to the writers for sneaking that one in there at the end. A lot of people didn't notice that, but I noticed it. All right, good catch there.
0: But Kevin's parents didn't catch anything, and so they let Kevin run off again. He goes out to see the pigeon lady, and it's Christmas Day. And instead of inviting her in for, you know, to get warm or give her food or give her money, he gives her a Christmas ornament, which is meant to represent their friendship. I get that part. But here I was like, come on, Kev, like, throw her a bone, man. Again, like, help this lady out. Don't just be her friend. Actually help her.
1: Bring her in. Take her into the warmth. Give her a fireplace and some food.
0: But he doesn't, and we've already mentioned how it goes. He promises to be her friend forever, and she says you can't keep that promise. And then Kevin gets yelled at for the room service bill, which is less than $1,000. Come on. (laughs) Not happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you rich motherfucker. Come on. You left your kid. You abandoned your child two years in a row. The least he could do. And I've spent $1,000 on just the vacation. You know, like, or on more than $1,000 on the vacation of everything. So, like, <clears throat> I know this is the 90s, but
0: uh, that yeah. doesn't
1: seem that expensive for, for the amount no. of stuff that he was on.
0: The ice cream butler and the limo alone. Oh, yeah. Have that much money.
1: Should, should have, just the ice cream butler would have been a 1000 for sure.
0: Well, that does do it for the movie. Kevin getting yelled at once again, not by buzz this time, but by his dad. And that wraps up home alone too. I'm kind of getting the vibe that you actually like this more than me this year. And that's strange because last year I was trying to sell you on home alone one.
1: Um, I, I, I don't think you, you were trying to sell me on home alone one. I just always thought of home alones. Both these two home alones are very similar and interchangeable almost, but, I don't know. It, it does kind of add something that they, they're in New York, I guess, and that it's a different feel. It, but it's the same exact movie. They're giving you exactly what you want, but they're kind of changing the scenery. They're kind of giving, but they're kind of taking. They're kind of feeding, but they're kind of nurturing. I don't know what to say with, with it, really, in the end. But it's the exact same fucking movie, and I'm going to give it the exact same fucking grade, and that's a 13 out of 20. Is that your corrected grade?
0: Because I remember I got you to raise your grade last year. What You got me to, rate it to
1: four, raise it to 14, right?
0: I can't remember. That's what, that's what I'm asking. I thought you were lower. Maybe you raised it to
1: a 13. <clears throat> yeah, I think I rated it like a 12 or a, and raised it to a 13. But either way, if I raised it to a 13.5 or a 14, that's what this movie is because it's the exact same movie. And you came and got – and I should rate it higher – because he gave us exactly what we wanted and what we ordered and they did it again. It's like, I got back to McDonald's and I was like, damn, I just had this sausage biscuit with egg and cheese and it was just as good as the last time. And that's almost more impressive than the last time I had it.
0: Well, I agree that it's a lot of the same, but I, my grade last year was a 15 and that was pretty high. I thought we even said, in terms of a Christmas movie, this might be the best Christmas movie of all time. I don't get as much of a Christmas vibe from the second one. I get that it's literally based on Christmas Day, but I don't know. It, to me, the second one is missing something that the first one had. The character of Kevin, to me, took, took a step back. I liked him a lot more in this first one. He was trying to be responsible while also enjoying being home alone. Whereas in the second one, he, he seemed like kind of a jerk a lot of the times to the public service workers and sadistic to the robbers. So yeah. I, I didn't buy Kevin as much. And because of all these things and also the pigeon lady, just not as cool as the shovel slayer. So because of all these things, I lowered my grade from a 15 last year home alone Two only gets a 12 out of, out of 20 for me.
1: Wow. 15 to 12. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty <clears throat> steep drop off. No, no, They're not that far off. And I, I'm going to tell you why, because like, first of all, the Pigeon Lady is more complex of a character than the shoveling neighbor, okay? I don't think and, so at all, no. I don't, I don't and think so. Kevin has a much more meaningful conversation with her, and that's the big thing is that Kevin in the first movie is focused on fixing himself, right? So he's fixing everything that's wrong with him that makes him able to deal with his family. In this movie... Kevin is much more focused on helping other people, so he's focused on fixing the pigeon lady and helping the pigeon lady. He gives her super uh, insightful things that she takes and learns from. So I, I like the fact that Kevin is is has grown a little bit as a human being, and he now has a little bit more wisdom because let's face it, what he went through last year was a super uh, insightful thing that would happen in any of if any of our lives if we have if that happened to us in any of our lives we would have grown leaps and bounds from that experience being left alone and having to protect your home from robbers it would have traumatized us uh and also taught us a lot about life and in just one year he's grown this wisdom to impart it and to share it to the people that are around him and he's become almost like the sage uh, come on, man! Not even close, dude. Like,
0: he's still a stiff. He's he hasn't learned that. He treats all public service workers like shit for the most part. He's scared of the he, pigeon lady. He
1: didn't first. he? Didn't tip one time, and he did tip. He gave him some gum.
0: He devolves as a person. He grows into a, an adult, maybe, but a shitty adult. He's he's sadistic. He's not nice at all in this
1: movie. No, he's much more insightful, and like you keep saying oh, he's over rough with the with the robbers. These people are trying to kill him. They literally pull a gun out and try to shoot him with it at one point. And so there's no way to say that he's over He could have killed them a multitude of ways, and he didn't. He had mercy and spared them. Oh, my God. He was trying, trying so
0: hard him. to kill them. He raised the voltage on poor Mark. Come on. He won it, Mark. No.
1: He had the control. We said he could have killed him at least six times, and he didn't kill him.
0: I don't know about this at all. I I can tell, though, that this is one of those debates that is not going to be solved. And so we'll have to leave it at that. I preferred the first movie. You preferred the second movie.
1: No, no. I prefer them equally the same.
0: All right. Well, then I liked the first movie more than the second, and you preferred them equally the same. But that kind of destroys what I was about to say, which will make The Good Son the tiebreaker.
1: Oh, well, The Good Son is definitely the tiebreaker. We
0: should watch that next. All right. Well, well that's not going to be next. But before we get to the movie that you picked for next week, hmm. we skipped right over our favorite lines. Oh, let's go, shit. Let's go ahead and you, do those now.
1: There's nobody dumb enough to knock off a toy store Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah, there is. You and me. Okay, I already said that one. Grown men come into the park and don't leave alive. Because they say, oh, he's a kid, he's in the park, he's scary. He's like, yeah, grown men come into the park and don't leave alive. If you aren't going to use your heart, it might as well be broken. Oh, that's such a good fucking line. I forgot about that one. Kevin, Kevin tells that to the pigeon lady. And that's something we should all listen to. If you aren't going to use your heart, it might as well be broken.
0: Mm. Deep, deep, deep.
1: What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. oh,
0: suck brick kid. Oh, that's the one. Ah, oh, that's man. the line. That's the line that gets me chuckling every yeah. time. He says, "Suck brick kid." He, he, <laughs> he Mar throws, says that to yeah. Kevin.
1: He, he throws it completely it. Oh,
0: I love that. That's so fun. And, and what a hole. Oh.
1: I hope your parents got you a tombstone for Christmas. That was another one. Yeah. Alright, that's my last one.
0: Yeah, the suck brick kid. That's the one I didn't say earlier because I had ah. I love that one. Sorry, I hate to ruin it for you. That's alright. That's good. I got a couple <clears> other <throat> ones too. Uh, Uncle Frank says you better not wreck my trip you little sourpuss. Your dad's paying good money for it. So Cheapskate Uncle Frank, I've always loved that guy. He's, he's a funny character, and he's got really funny lines here early on. And That was one of them. He's, well, and Kev- Kevin
1: calls him a cheapskate there too, right?
0: Oh, yeah, he is being a cheapskate. He even says, your dad's paying good money for he's it. He's like, oh, I hate to
1: rent your vacation, Mr. Cheapskate.
0: Another one of my favorite lines, and I really like this one, is when they're explaining to the cop how they've lost Kevin before, and it, it happens frequently with them, Kevin's dad says, Oddly enough, we never lose our luggage. And both the parents start cracking up over this. Because yeah. It's, most people traveling lose their luggage. <clears and throat> they, lo- they lose their son every time.
1: Yeah, not funny in the circumstance of the situation. Kudos to them
0: for having a sense of humor.
1: Yeah, that's why I like the scene is because they even
0: play on how ridiculous it is that this keeps happening. It's like, yeah, I no, it. it's funny now. Yeah, it keeps happening. Another one I wrote here is when Rob Schneider is trying to hustle up a tip. And he says to Kevin, do you need me to fix your TV, sir? And Kevin says, I'm 10 years old. TV's my life. Which is right. true. When I was 10 years old, man, TV was my life, too. So I, I liked that, and I appreciated that quote. Mm-hmm. And then the final one. I stole a page out of your book, and it comes from Harry, and it is, Hiya, pal. ha!
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I like it. Line of the century. Hiya, pal. Hiya, pal. So that does it for Home Alone 2. The Ranted Taco Christmas special is complete. What movie have we got on tap for next week, sir?
1: Well, this is an interesting one. Because I am making an attempt to throw us both completely out of our comfort zone. Usually, we pick a movie that I like or that you like. And then there's some debate on back and forth or that we both like you a lot of times we both like the movie yeah this movie is not a movie that i would suspect either of us of liking and it's mean girls (laughs) mean girls (laughs) yes nice yeah starring lindsey lohan right yeah lindsey lohan is the star and i will admit right off the bat that i do have an affinity for lindsey lohan i always had a crush on her but that's not why I picked the movie. I picked the movie basically because I knew that neither of us would have any real predisposed attachment to this movie. Now, I've
0: seen Mean Girls once when I was in high school when it came out. I remember almost nothing about it. But I remember thinking it was kind of funny. So I'm, I'm interested
1: in seeing that again. I think if we dig deep enough, we can find some real thematic things going on in this movie that are kind of fun to talk about
0: alright well then actually I'm, I'm looking forward to that the 2022 New Year's special Mean Girls oh yeah and so with that out of the way where should people email us
1: email us at rancidtacopodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com alright hail to your mother hail to your mother
0: and Merry Christmas to all Thank you for listening, and we will see you next
1: week. Bye-bye, y'all.
0: Everyone loves movies from Webster to Morocco. Who needs rotten tomatoes when you've got the rancid tacos? brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls.